Hello, and welcome to the Herald's Horn. Today, myself and my co-hosts are discussing EDH pre-con complexity, touching other people's cards, a breakout modern deck, and MagicCon Chicago. Of course, we have the product watch and co-hosts notebook segments. After the break, I'm joined by Michael Caffrey, owner of Tales of Adventure Comics and Games, better known as TOA, to discuss a few different aspects of the magic vendor life and business. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hello, you are listening to episode number four of The Herald's Horn. My name is Cal Jones, and today I am joined by the wonderful Lexi. Say hello, Lexi. Oh my goodness, hi. Yeah, you get to go first. How do you feel about going first today? Uh, Elated. Overjoyed. (laughs) Excellent. Elated, overjoyed. I am also joined by Dan. Say hello, Dan. Hello, Brass Section. How are we doing today? Brass Section. All right, that's another another entry into the potential names for our fans. And <laughs> last but not least, that's right, we have all three co-hosts with us today. It's Emma. Say hello, Emma. Hi, Emma. Emma, how are you doing on this illustrious day? I'm doing great. I made some banana bread. It is currently cooling in the kitchen, and I can smell it from here. So okay, I'm excited to stuff my face after this recording that sounds like a great after recording treat i'm gonna have my lunch after this recording because uh (laughs) we're we're doing this much earlier in the day than we normally would all right run the theme song and welcome back to the news, we have a whole lot of exciting things to talk about and three co-hosts who would love to offer their extensive opinions about them. So we're just going to jump right into it. Um, of course, once again, much like last episode, there were more huge competitive tournaments over the weekend. Most notably, uh, Regional Championship Denver, the Canada Regional Championship, and also Magic Champions Cup Japan and Korea. I think the big story of the tournaments over this weekend was the very last second swap that a ton of players made onto this new uh, modern deck that was being called Domain Rhinos. It's like Teamer Rhinos, but they also play the new card Leyline of the Guild Pact, which if you have it in your hand at the beginning of the game, you can put it into play for free, but it makes all of your creatures, all of your permanents, all colors, I think it's all of your permanents, all colors, and it also makes all of your lands, all basic land types. Um, that is really good with the humongous 12-cost dragon Scion of Draco, uh, which costs 12 and is reduced by 2 for each of the basic land types you have. So if you just have 2 mana, if you have all the land types in your Leyline of the Guild Pact, just cast a really cheap Scion of the Draco. Emma, that seems really strong to me. Yes, it is very strong. And it's very funny that you can put 8, diff- eight cards into Rhinos and it will still be busted. Yeah, just like... Actually, this deck's really good. What if we just randomly slotted in eight different cards because it might be powerful? Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. And one thing people have realized with the RC is like, oh, Rhinos is like the best deck. And it's like, Rhinos has been the best deck since uh, Fury got banned. People have just started to pick up on it. But the fact that you got this Leyline of the Guild Pact, which is now spiked in price like hard, um, three days after Mark, uh, Karlov Mana release, 
Um, it'd be interesting to see what happens, but yeah, it's it's wild that rhinos is like super good still. And is there a is there a ban potential discussion somewhere? Because violent outbursts is really good. I don't know. I want to say that there probably should be at least some thought going on for it, because at the point where you have a deck that's so good that you can say, let's put a completely unrelated B plan into it to just have an alternate out that's not the can of rhinos, like it's just ridiculously strong. Also, um, Sina Draco gives all your rhinos all other keywords as well because Leilana Gilpat gives them all tap. It gives them all types as well. So you just so you just have all the you, you have these four fours with like all these keywords, and it's like okay, guess I lose. Like oh yes, the other part of the rules text on side of Draco. Yeah. besides being a flying four four that you can cast for, for two. Yeah, it says each creature you control has vigilance if it's white, hexproof if it's blue. Lifelink if it's black, first strike if it's red, and trample if it's green. So if your Leyline of the Guild Pact is in play, all of your creatures will be all five colors, which means all of your creatures will have Vigilance, uh, Hexproof, Lifelink, first strike, and trample. That seems pretty good. Jeez. And another thing, cars like Engineered Explosive are historically good against Rhinos just because of their tokens. This sign of Draco does not get engineered explosive. So you have mm-hmm. to find another way to beat the deck. It just seems very explosive. And it was a really good option this weekend because a lot of, I think, 20% of the field was Team of Rhinos or Team of Rhinos and Domain Rhinos across the weekend at RC mm-hmm. Denver. So it was mm-hmm. definitely the deck to play. Right. In a format without like Swords to Plowshares, no Red El- Elmelta Blast to take care of the fact that they're blue or things like that. Like, what do you do against these cards? This is ridiculous. I guess the answer is play Living End. Play Living End or play or just play the deck yourself and just yeah. win the die roll. I don't know. <laughs> Lexi, do you have any hard hitting opinions on this competitive magic, the gathering deck that has emerged over the weekend? Literally, absolutely none other than this is nuts to hear. Um, <laughs> I was not in tune with that. But now that I'm looking at these cards, this is like kind of bonkers. And it's wild to me. I think it's definitely wild to me what when I hear that a certain deck comes into scope. But then I also hear like, Emma, for you to say this has been on the scene for a while. People are just now cluing into it. That's always kind of interesting for me to hear, too, because I always wonder what was stopping people from playing it before. And if you're saying like a lot of people switched over to it in like the the final hour, like that's a that's kind of a lot yeah so a lot of people were planning to play like team of rhinos which is mm-hmm. the one without the ley line package um but obviously wind catches really quickly especially at these uh, rcs that are 1300 people so yeah. people are rushing around vendors to get the four ley lines and the four sign dracos and just mm-hmm. like wedge this in last minute and some of them did some of them didn't some of them decided to keep traditional teamer but the fact that this catches by wildfire and people are just like jamming it. Like I saw LSV bat signaling for ley lines and sign of Dracos at the at Denver RC over the weekend. So it's like, this must be legit if someone like LSV has gone, I want to play this. Yeah. My exact That's thoughts, wild. seeing LSV tweet about it. I was like, oh, this is the real deal. Yeah. Um. So all that, all that said about uh, domain rhinos, it did not win. It, it had a great performance over the weekend um, at all three of the major tournaments. Uh, actually, I, I don't think it was played a whole ton at Magic Champions Cup Japan and Korea, uh, but it had great performances at both regional championship Denver. However, uh, teamer rhinos took that one down, uh, taking over 1,300 other players, uh, and the Canada RC was won by living end. Uh, 
also over teamer rhinos, I believe. So uh, one one last little thing about domain rhinos before we move on. Um, uh, Jesse Robkin noted, uh, especially modern grinder, but general just great Magic the Gathering player, uh, was just like, yep, um, I won my uh, I won my LCQ today. I last second went over to domain uh, rhinos. This this is her tweet. As promised, I won't have to LCQ in Dallas. I want seven and one in the modern 10k in Dallas with uh, her title for the deck, Gay Rhinos. Uh, I played one game three all day. Uh, so she two owed all but one of her matches for the entire for the entire tournament. Sideboard is a mess. Mana is a little off, but the deck is just that broken. Uh, so I guess we'll have to see what happens uh, with this fun deck. Maybe it'll be way worse if people just like can bring some naturalize effects. I don't know if that's how it works or not. Uh, it seems pretty bad to have to remove a ley line of the guild pact so you can then remove a sign of Draco because the sign of Draco has hexproof if you have your ley line of the guild pact in And play. then you're just going to get killed <laughs> by 244 rhinos anyway. <laughs> yes. So, Lexi, the thing we kind of missed out on here too is that, like, the base of the deck, the base unfair thing that the deck is doing is it just casts one of its multiple three CMC spells that cascades into a free spell which makes two 4-4 four, four Rhino tokens. So you pay three mana and get two 4-4 four, four Rhino tokens every time. And that's the floor. And so they just found more broken things to do in the deck besides that. And then you have Jeez. the the Surveil Lands from Karlov Mana, which are also really good in Rhinos because it gives a little bit of agency um, because Rhinos is just typically bad at that. So but surveilling away a card is basically drawing it because you just draw quicker into your Cascaders. It's like... Mm. Everything's coming up rhinos, apparently. Dang. So you need oh two of those to beat your opponent with a scion and a guild pact, and then you also put them up two lands. So just absolutely stellar plays. Perfect. And you've just yep. lost two cards. <laughs> all right. Enough about enough about all these rhinos. Oh, I also should mention uh, Magic Con, uh, Magic Champions Cup, Japan and Korea was also won by Living End. Classic. Oh, I already mentioned that. Okay. Uh, notably, the winner, the winner of Magic Championship Cup, Japan and Korea, lost only one game in the entire top eight. So just like pretty much two owed the entire top eight. That's pretty cool. Damn. All right, moving on to some other topics, really quick. Uh, over this last weekend, toward the end of last week, MagicCon Chicago badges entirely sold out. Uh, as of right now, if you want to get into MagicCon Chicago, as we are still. Nearly two full weeks out from the beginning of the week, uh, beginning of the event, I guess about a week and a half ish now out from the beginning of the event. You cannot attend Magic on Chicago if you want to. Uh, if you do not already have your badge, uh, too bad. I'm happy I have my badge. I know Emma has a badge, I'm sure, because Emma is flying to the event. Yeah. Um, Me and Lexi are pissed. Yeah. yeah Lexi, Lexi <laughs> and Dan, Lexi and Dan do not have the option to come if they want. Lexi, how do you feel about not being able to come to Magic Con Chicago? You um, do not have a choice anymore. I don't really have a choice, but when I say, like, it's odd because Magic Con Chicago, when it was announced, I had a lot of, oddly enough, like TTRPG people actually saying they wanted to go. Um, and so I'm excited to kind of see and watch as a bunch of TTRPG people who have, I don't think they've ever been to an event, 
I just kind of want to see what their outlook is as they go to these events and see what it's like to just obviously people like jam games and stuff, but also there's just a lot more to magic. And I think I'm excited to just kind of observe <laughs> in the looking glass. But as for me, I am sad that I cannot be in Chicago. I'm a little sad. The tiniest bit. Dan, are, are, you are not making the 25 hour drive. Uh, to Chicago. Uh, no, nor the 87 hour walk. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Emma, you are, however, making the 80 hour flight. What is yep. <laughs> inspiring you to travel from uh, the grand old country to the grand old country? <laughs> Debatable. <laughs> <laughs> what is inspiring you to fly all the way to Magic Con Chicago? As one uh, of the select many few that managed to get a badge. It's it's less inspiration and more that I am going because TCG player are uh, asking me to go. So it's it, it's a work weekend, so I'm gonna be covering uh, we me and a, a few work others. Trip. It's it's basically a work trip for me, so I'm gonna be covering some events, I'm gonna be checking some panels out, interviewing some people, gonna be running around. I'll be at the event if you see see me in a TCG player shirt. Feel free to say hi or whatever, but yeah, it's a working event for me, unfortunately. If Emma is not in a TCG player shirt, leave her alone. She is yeah. off the clock. <laughs> she does not want to talk to you. Clocked out. She does not want to. She yeah. is on her way to meet one of 55 different people that she said, OMG, we should meet up on yeah. Twitter when they said they were going to be at Magic on Chicago. Oh. <laughs> Um, I, I, I think this is the first Magic Con to technically sell out, except for maybe Vegas, like, uh, Magic 30, the first kind of Magic Con. I think that one might have also sold out. I think the first I, one after the, the pandemic, I think that mm -hmm. one sold out. Yeah. Um, but I was just kind of shocked that we sold out and I'm also surprised. Like, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be surprised if like on Thursday, I heard that Saturday day passes sold out, you know, or whatever, but the entire event, every single pass, even down to the kids passes are just all gone. Crazy, crazy, crazy. All right. Speaking of other things that are crazy, uh, somehow on magictwitter.com, we had what might have been the longest lasting discourse of all time. Uh, I don't like to talk about discourse too much, but, uh, I think this one is a little bit of a special one and so here here's here's the topic here let me lay the table for you here you are playing in a game of magic the gathering it could be fnm draft it could be the second day of a pro tour it could be your little wednesday night edh game every single person on twitter.com had to offer their opinion about whether or not when you see a card you do not recognize. Do you ask permission to pick up that person's magic card? Lexi. Do you want do you want people touching your magic cards without I, asking you, even if you're no, gonna say yes every single time? No, I well I think it truly depends. And I read this post and I was like, I mean, honestly, I was kind of like, dang, they are spitting. Um Mainly, be but I also think that's because a lot of people, because it is courtesy, will do it rudely and you can't say anything about it because it's 
it's fine. It's like accepted in culture, like our like table culture to be able to just pick up cards. So I have definitely played with strangers who have done it rudely because they were mad about their game being. I've never had a stranger like pick up a card and like rip it or anything. But like being salty about, you know, someone is domineering the table and then they reach across and they're like, what does your card do? What does that do again? And it's like, it's just, I think it's one of those things where it's manners. Um, I don't know. I think because it's not, it's not abnormal to pick up cards. People will just do it however they want. So I don't think it's wrong for suddenly there to be a table culture kind of saying, no, I actually like it. I'd prefer it if you ask me first, because I don't care about my card's value, but I care about how the game is going and the vibe of the table and that's just someone being kind of pouty to me. Shrug. <laughs> you can't you can't see it. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a fair opinion, I think. I, I I think that a lot of this really comes from the fact that there is a huge divide on Twitter and in Magic in general between people who play EDH and people who have played other formats. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is just so not an issue in most uh, in competitive formats. You just hand your entire deck over and have someone shuffle your deck after you, you've done shuffling it uh, for a competitive event to keep everything fair and uh, square. By but, the rules, you are required to shuffle your opponent's deck rather than like yeah. cutting it if you're playing mm-hmm. it if you're playing at comp and I saw multiple in the threads of those various conversations being like oh I've had someone pick up my whole deck and shuffle it before and I couldn't believe it and it's like well that's just because you are living a different life than they are living um I am personally like a little bit too personable when I'm at the competitive 60 card table and I I just I don't know I don't do the grinder thing well I don't do the like head down and pass priority thing very well I'm always talking to people so I personally will uh be one to be like hey can I pick up your card and take a look at it before uh simply doing it but i'm also not going to ask a second time if someone says yes the first time i'm just going to do it unless it's like you know like a time twister or Mm -hmm. or something like that uh but yeah for the most part i don't think it's i don't know i I can't believe that twitter was so up i think i can't believe it but i think a lot of magic discourse and a lot of things that are discussed in the magic community could be solved by talking and having conversations and having social skills which is really weird considering magic is a very social game (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right um and i'm with dan on this as someone who's played both commander and like competitive constructed um it's good manners to say can i have a look at this card and the first time you do it that normally means if they say yes it's like cool i can do this again you know you've got the permission but at the same time it is your property so it's good manners to ask about it what value aside you own these cards even worse if you're borrowing a deck of someone and they're not asking permission either that's your responsibility as well so just have some manners like it it literally it's like a 10 second conversation it's not going to kill the clock like come on it's such a non issue it's such a yeah. it is a non issue yeah <laughs> but, Welcome to magic. Everything's an issue. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think it is kind of, it is kind of a weird, it, it was one of those weird situations where there were like two different sects of people, S E C T sects of people. Uh, <laughs> Fuck, that was uh, cool for a second. <laughs> <laughs> we came dangerously close to me being cool for a moment. Um, <laughs> of people who do have entirely different lived experiences with the same game, having, like, different opinions upon a topic. Because, like, yeah, I get it. If we're in 
the regional championship, which is the frame a lot of people were talking about it around. Yeah, I I'll probably ask to see your graveyard just so I don't have to reach for it or whatever and grab it. But if you just play a card and I don't know what it does, I'll probably just pick it up and look at it. But if we're in an EDH game, I'm going to ask every single time because the vibes are just different. And I guess this is the kind of gray area discussion that most people on Twitter.com don't seem interested in exploring. It's it's one of those things. I say this to a lot of people who play Commander, like when it comes to actually playing, it's just just read the room. It's all you need to do. Mm-hmm. Yep. And this is a really good example where you should just read the room instead of just thinking about yourself. Just think outwards, because it's cool. What's the vibe of the pod? How are they? Can I do this and this? Is this a dick move or not? Just just like pay attention Truly, like, to look people around, around like, you. Am I playing with strangers? Am I playing with my friends? Like, right. it's so easy to parse out these things in my mind, but I don't know, I yeah. guess not. Yeah. yeah, like when I'm playing with Lexi, I will pick up their magic card and rip it in half. And that's yeah. okay, because we're friends. <laughs> and I have to be okay with that. <laughs> Reading the I room, I have who, to be okay uh, with that. It's like, hey, can I see one of your magic cards? And I handed her a watery grave, and she just bit it. <gasps> what? Yeah. Did 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 <laughs> they think that was quirky? I just... Probably, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> would, you, would you say you perceived it as quirky? Um, I had a, a a girlfriend once who was like, hey, can I see one of your magic cards? And I was playing a game. I was like, yeah, sure. Here's a water grave. And she goes, bites it. Why? That's not, that's was not she cute. hungry? That's not cute. Cardboard is not sustenance. And then, no. and then after after she did that, you blushed and kicked your little feet? Yes. No, you bite my watery graves. No, you bite my watery graves. All right. Uh, If you're playing competitive magic where uh, the onus is usually on you to understand what is going on in a game, grab people's magic cards as long as you're not rough with them. If you're playing EDH, the vibes are probably that you should ask somebody before touching their personal property. All right. Moving on. Speaking of EDH, one little topic of conversation here. Uh, this is less the news. Maybe it's the opinion quarter or whatever. Um, I don't like how complicated EDH precons are getting. Um, there's a lot of complexity creep in EDH precons, um, as there has maybe been complexity creep along Magic the Gathering as well. Uh, but as Magic makes more and more complex cards over time, those cards filter into being reprints in Commander decks. And as cards, as was said in the last episode with Jim, as casual play design focuses more and more on making niche powerful cards in the EDH precons rather than more powerful generically cards in the precons, that usually requires more words and more complicated concepts to be made niche powerful. And uh, as a result, I felt like especially some of the the latest round of precons or the last round of precons I've, I've been shuffling through and i'm like there's a lot of words on these cards there's a lot of actually just like more complicated mechanics on these cards and these are often what people will be shuffled towards now if they want to start playing magic the gathering um how do you start playing commander with your friends well if you pay 35 40 45 bucks you can start playing Commander with your friends. The problem is these already complicated 100 card singleton decks in what is actually a very complicated format. I don't think that's talked about enough for getting people into EDH to start playing Magic. But 
the least that could help with that is uh, some easier decks. And I do know there are, uh, they did make a line of EDH decks for new players. But I think those just like immediately evaporated into eighth, into the Aether. I don't think I've ever seen them for sale. Everyone that was invested in Magic like poo-pooed on them when they were released. Um, so I've never thought about those again until this moment. They do exist. I don't know if anyone's recommending them to anyone. Uh, I honestly didn't know that they existed, but it makes sense yeah. that I've never heard of them because who do they appeal to? Like not anyone with a voice on Twitter or anything like that. You know, it appeals to people who uh, are definitely not on Twitter talking about magic. They're definitely mm -hmm. have never talked about Twitter on any online platform before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I've, I've felt this even ever since like I, I decided one of my friends, Blake was interested in playing commander with me. I said, awesome. Let me grab a random pre-con. Just like, let me tell you about some different pre-cons that I still have in the box unopened. And you will decide which one you would like to play. And he was like, perfect. The mutate one sounds cool. Uh-oh. Oh, boy. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And so that might be an outsized example. It, it, and that was a while ago too. Ikoria is not a but recent I mean, Magic Gathering set by, and you have the same issue. It's just like it doesn't have to be mutate to be the most complicated mechanic in the world to be completely confusing. Like basically, the idea of bringing your friend to play a precon with you is like sitting your friend down and being like, "Here is uh, sixty flashcards with uh, trivia about a country that you've never heard of, and half of the words are made up." Okay, now remember them and remember how they all work together during this like hour and a half gaming experience. Like it's just impossible. Yeah, I feel like definitely um, I think that the biggest shtick about precons is that they automatically come out swinging with keyword keywords attached to a lot of the precons. And so you can't just sit someone down and teach them how to play EDH. They also have to like I'm thinking about the maestros um, precon specifically. I'm thinking about like the Warhammer 40k precons so with all yeah. of those keyword abilities I've never heard of. Yeah, or even like in Ikoria, um, oh my gosh, what was our beetle beetle buddy? I can't remember his name. Um, but he brought keywords from the graveyard to the battlefield. Um, and I struggled very hardcore, like first getting into EDH because you are learning the game of magic, but then also you have to keep track of this one word that doesn't mean anything to you. You have no context for what it means, but it's somehow written on every card badly. Um, <laughs> like they kind of use mid cards with the effects. So you're not really sure why you would need to dredge. Why do you need to, you know, f find a clue? Why, like, what is this stuff? Um, I don't know. It's not super easy anymore based off the EDH decks. No, I think largely a, a big part of the beauty of Magic is that it is a very simple game at its core, like just throwing a hill giant into another hill giant until someone gets a third hill giant. Uh, like th that is, I think, I, I now hugely brushed over like fun part of magic is just basic combat math. Like now everything is very centric on keyword abilities and doing new novel things that we've never done before, which is great. And like, that's how you keep the game fresh and keep the game going. Um, but it is a huge overload for anyone who is trying to learn the game. Like I would never, I would never sit someone down who uh, came to me and was like, I want to learn how to play magic. I would never teach them how to play EDH first. So I think that is the worst way to teach someone to play magic, Truly. to be honest. Information overload to the nth degree. Yeah. Just like, how do you keep track of that? Emma, any overarching thoughts on this specific topic today? 
Um, it's an interesting topic because I saw something from Brian Kibler on Twitter because I believe they were playing the Deep Clue C precon, and turn four they just had this you know board of tokens. And I, I think Brian's tweet was something like, "This is a precon. What the hell? You know how are you know newer players going to understand this? Because there's like an academy manufacturer in it, which just creates these really uh, complicated and permanent dense like board states. It's like, how is someone going to come into Magic and go, "Yeah, I guess I can get this"? Because that's that that's the thing when you're trying to get people into Magic, you need to make it easy and. Granted, Universes Beyond is that segue for a lot of people now. So it'll be interesting to see how the Fallout decks do because they're coming soon. So we're going to get some Fallout fans and they might buy a pre-con. It's like, I just don't understand this. Dogmeat's cool. I love Dogmeat, but I have no clue what it does. So it's, I wish they would make things simple, but imagine there's a push to co complexity creep things because it, sell, it actually sells product and packs. It's weird almost that the precons now are much more geared towards the invested player rather than the right. new player because it is like things like Academy Manufacture, like that doesn't appeal to a new player because they don't understand the complexities of what you can do with all of these tokens or something. That appeals to a slightly enfranchised player who's like, oh, Academy Manufacture goes off with this card and this card that I already know about. Uh, and yeah, there's just a million different situations like that where it's just like the intro level is just too high. Like mm -hmm. after that, you, you kind of need a break and a nap because I would I think I would have a headache. Like Absolutely. if I was getting if I was getting into magic now, it, it would be much harder for me than it was like nearly ten years ago. Just because not it's to just mention too much how frustrating it's be if you're not the academy manufacturer player, if you're the new player, you're watching someone else do that, and you're like, yeah, what am I gonna do on my turn that's gonna match this? Right. <laughs> academy manufacturer has been banned from EDH to stop onlookers from thinking they need to participate in an it's overly fine, complicated can... and complex format. It's oh. fine. You can cast farewell. Done. Oh my God. <laughs> Jeez. No good transition. We're moving on to the product watch. <laughs> That's a segue for you. Farewell, last segment. <laughs> hey. All right. Uh, welcome to the product watch, the recurring segment of the show where we talk about all of the products that have been released or announced or whatnot since we last came around. Uh, with an episode of the Herald's Horn. Uh, the major thing, of course, is that the Secret Lair Winter Super Drop 2024 was announced. Uh, pretty average Super Drop, actually, I would say. It's like it, there's an artist feature that has cool art on it. Um, it's uh, the Beauty and the Beasts, I think is what it was called. I'm forgetting um, that artist name, but the, that series yeah. is particularly beautiful. I love those. Yep. Uh, the Beauty and the Beast. Secret layer, uh, there's, uh, you know, latest special treatment for cards, but on iconic legendaries. So we've got some legendaries with the like, ooh, suspect art uh, from Murder at Karlov Manor on it. I forget the name of that specific treatment. Emma. It's the dossier treatment. All right. The dossier treatment. Thank you, Emma. It's the dossier treatment on uh, some several iconic legendaries. And then they brought back the serial treatment and put, you know, Kark and Sakashima on it. So CEDH players fiending on that one. I was going to say, can we talk about that? Like, we don't need to because I know this is not what the show is about. But, like, that's a serious nod from Wizards to be like, hey, we see what's going on. Yeah. You want your matching little matching little Kark and Sakashima silly, silly boys? Here you go. Um, 
And then there was also uh, there's an, a, another secret lair that has circular logic, a counter spell, misprinted as a sorcery instead of an instant. They announced it, and people are like, "Um, was this a rendering error?" Which like happens sometimes. They post incorrect mockups from time to time. That just happens. Production pipelines are hard. But then, like two days later, they were like, "Oops, teehee." That's the way we printed it. So if you buy it, it'll just say sorcery on it. Oh, Look no. up the gatherer rules text. And I then didn't they know that. And That's actually their little rad, feet. I think. That is wild. Um, as a person who loves Portal 3 Kingdoms and their sorceries that say you can only cast a sorcery in response to another thing, I was hoping <laughs> that's what they were doing with it. Imagine if they just like put that rules text on it. That's what I was hoping for, yeah. <laughs> Emma, our resident secret lair winter super drop correspondent. <laughs> what do you think? I think Wizards shouldn't sell a card that doesn't have the right text on it. Okay, fair point. You got you um, got us there. And I guess it just makes me wonder, right? You know, we've had a bunch of layoffs and now quality control for secret layers is going down. I'm like, gee, this is very coincidental. Perhaps I'm being cynical, but it's just like, man, this kind of sucks that this is happening and things like this are getting people through. People could have caught that. Yeah, right. Like the, and also the secret layer itself, they all look like white cards. If you want that, that's the other thing. Cause they all look the same. Um, but yeah, like just... that it's that, that secret layer specifically is so close to being down like my alley. Cause it's just like a white and black secret layer with some cool kind of abstract art on it. And even I'm not that interested in it. I feel like me, number one, weird card enjoyer, number one, monochrome guy. I'm not interested in the weird monochrome secret lair, even before they announced that it had a major game breaking like misprint on it. I don't know. Something something's not right over there. And uh, as of this recording, there's 20 days left in the sale and uh, all of the bundles that you can get, save one or two of them are completely sold out. And also the beauty and the beasts, which is the the one I was most interested in buying with the beautiful creature art on it um is also sold out so that's disappointing and uh the first byproduct of the new secret layer model that we talked about a few weeks ago where they are no longer printing to demand uh they are no longer doing a pre-order model they are just doing a here's what we have for sale and you can buy it model so i don't know i guess this means lexi will no longer be able to buy secret layers right lexi it's true this stinks. I just this stinks. It's honestly how I feel too. That's like it. I'm just not punctual or remember I don't remember things well enough to be like, oh, the secret layer is out. I gotta go get it right now. Um, I'm eternally going to be looking at these pages and seeing the no longer available signs on all the things I want. Although notably the Deceptive Divination uh set with the circular logic printing in it is the only secret layer that is on sale right now. <laughs> yeah, they they knocked it off by five bucks because they yeah. realized of their error. <laughs> I love like, that. It's super funny. Uh, $25. Okay. Yeah. yeah, 25 instead of 30 Well, that's everything about Secret Lair Winter Super Trap 2024. Uh, another big piece of news is that Murder at Karlov Manor is finally here. Uh, sales are... The general consensus around the vibes of Twitter.com on vendor Twitter and whatnot that I've seen is that the sales are kind of disappointing. Emma, do you have any insight into why that is? 
Um, so I've been I've been seeing and reading and hearing the same things from Bender LGS corner of Twitter, where um, so like the pre-release attendance has been down in a few cases, and this is because play boosters are a thing. Play play booster prices are more than draft boosters, so pre-releases are up. So it's alienated some of the more budget-minded uh, Magic players that. A couple of bucks is like quite is quite a lot for them to try and you know justify playing Magic. Um, the set itself, like before this week, this previous weekend with the RC, a lot of the cars everyone was just kind of medium on. There wasn't anything that's like, oh my god, this is like the Chase Mythic Rare. There isn't like a Shieldred in the set that uh, people are gravitating towards to. Um, and also, the set seems pretty complicated. There's a lot of text. Let's be honest. Um, it's not the most easy to process, and it's weird to have return basically returning mechanics under a different name, and it's just That's like so unnecessarily complicated to me. Yeah, and also we're back to Ravnica, but not quite back to Ravnica. But also we went to Ravnica in January with Ravnica remastered, so there's this weird Ravnica overload, and the best cars from Ravnica were in Ravnica remastered, which was the Shocklands. So maybe people invested in that over buying stuff for Karlov Manor. It's 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 come at a weird time. Um, but yeah, like sales have been pretty slow. But granted, the set's only been out for like three or four days as of recording. Um, but people could have picked up stuff pre-release weekend, so there's been like a week there thereabouts. I think things will pick up now, considering the RC and a lot of people are playing with these, you know, new cards and actually quite hyped for them. So I think it's going to be a slow burner. I think it will do well the longer we the, the set is in standard. So I wouldn't be surprised next year if people go, Carla Man is a banger set. There's a lot of hidden gems in here. It does have the surveillance. Yeah. So you have this so you have the surveil lands, you have Leyline of the Guild Pact, you have really chase on commons like Insidious Roots, you have No More Lies, you've got War Leaders Call that's like doubled in price over the weekend because of Standard and Boris Convoke. That card's super good. And then you have stuff like Downey, the Mole God, and you have like Massacre Curl, which are also going to be really good in Commander. So there is there is stuff in the set. It's just not super high value stuff yet. Granted, stuff like Leyline and the Borderless Surveil Lands are beginning to spike up in price, but those will settle eventually because we're in hype mode because of the recent uh, RCs. I think you called it too with just like being a little bit too close to the Return to Ravnica remastered set. It's just like if you are looking to park your money into one of those, you have the surefire thing of I know there's going to be Shocklands here versus uh, these might be constructed playable cards in Karlov. So, yeah. Lexi, do you like anything in Murder at Karlov's Manor? Has it punctured Just... your heart and soul? Not yet. I was excited about it for a little bit. It's not. It's not. It's not done the trick yet. It's not done the trick just yet. The I don't think I'm ready to be excited about it. You saw <laughs> too many fedoras and said, "Ah, high school." I said, "The Woof. theme. The theme for me is not very exciting either. I'm not big into like murder yeah. mysteries, that kind of thing. And it's really hard for me to get excited when the next standard set's a cowboy set. Yes, that's exactly it. The clue thing. I think the first episode I was on, I was like, "I'm super excited about the clue set, cowboys." You're kidding me. You're kidding me. Mm -mm. We're finally getting our Yeehaw set. 
Yeah. Exactly. Well, well, yeah. It's like, all right, here's a murder mystery set. Okay, cool. But then we get the cowboy set, and then we get the red wall set. Come on. Yeah. Right. No, I mean, yeah. Murder mystery, I think, is just... I don't. It's a little too on the nose, a little too dated of a concept, I think, to really hit home so hard. Um, and again, I don't know. I just don't think that they really brought it there with the individual cards to like make me, make me so invested in a murder mystery. Unlike Murder at Karlov Manor, there is a lot of buzz around uh, you, uh, optimism for universes beyond Fallout. Um, lots of cool new cards they've already shown off. Solid IP with a lot of like penetration into the nerd market i i i really wanted to come up with another word there but yeah. um, you seemed unhappy <laughs> saying it yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it's the given parlance i believe um so uh you know solid the IP. men are gonna love this one yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> solid ip that a lot of like people who are into magic or could be into magic are into much the same as there was a lot of success with like D, doctor who uh, especially 40k right um and also uh right around the same time uh there is a tv show dropping for 40 uh, for fallout in april which i didn't know about so that's pretty I think cool too i think it's on amazon and it's out in april so it'll be really interesting to see because the fallout set comes out early march so there's like three to four weeks of that set. And then it's like, wow, there's a Fallout TV show. Wow, I'm going to buy the Fallout precons. Like, it's all intentional. Also, Fallout previews start uh, February 20th. So that's like a week tomorrow um, as of recording. Um, so that'll be fun. So lots of Fallout goodies. Um, I've heard a lot of good things about it. A lot of finance folks are quite excited about it because there's apparently a lower print run. From what I've heard, I don't know if that's true. Um, it's just there's a, there's going to be a lot of collectible stuff, and the IP is quite strong. Um, and that tends to dictate the sales of these kind of releases. Well, all right. I hope I can get my hands on a single crumb of Magic: The Gathering Universes Beyond Fallout, and that is all we have for the product watch. So now, now that we've been going for so long already, it's time to keep it moving. We're going to go on to the co-host's notebook. My favorite new section of the show, where each of the co-hosts just talk a little bit about anything they want to. A single line item that they would like to discuss a little bit or a lot. Dan, we'll go to you first. Oh, geez. Um, I haven't really honestly been up to a whole lot the past few weeks. I've been playing a lot of Fortnite, which is like an embarrassing thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> Are you good at it? A friend of mine got me hooked on it, and it's just so much fun. I've just been playing a ton of it. Yeah, what have you what have you enjoyed about Fortnite? Yeah. Um, it's just so stupid. Like a lot of the other first person shooter massive online multiplayer games like uh Call of Duty, etc. Um, people are very mean and rude and things like that. And in Fortnite, it's just dumb characters and they're all breakdancing in the waiting room to get onto the battlefield. And when like my main enemy in the in the game is Peter Griffin and Snake, which like I don't know, if, <laughs> if that's who you're getting mad at, it's like it's not that bad. It's like yeah, actually, I want to shoot Peter Griffin so I can see him. Every do time the I dumb see one, I'm like, like oh, that break death That's animation. Like to me. <laughs> <laughs> that would restore my hope in humanity, actually. Like when the Peter Griffin skin came out and like was on the battle pass, I was like, am I going to log into Fortnite for the first time in It's so funny. Years and fun. I just so really that I can get it. the Peter Griffin skin. 
Comparatively, like in combat, if someone kills you, you can hear their mic when they get close to your body and you can hear them fucking you. And it's the most demoralizing (laughs) thing in the world. Oh my God. You know, someone shoots you and then emotes over your body. You're just like, well, what are you going to do? If I did not want Rick from Rick and Morty. (laughs) Oh my God. Don't get me started. Doing the the scrubs default dance on my dead body. (laughs) I should have simply gotten good. Yes. All right, moving on. Dan's really into Fortnite. Emma, what about what 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 do you want to talk about? <laughs> Speaking of video games, I haven't been playing Fortnite. Speaking of Fortnite, I've been really into Fortnite recently. <laughs> <laughs> Fortnite, I mean Peter Griffin. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been really enjoying a game. It came out what late last year. It's called Dave the Diver. Um, and it's it's on Steam, it's on Switch. Um, basically, you play as a guy called Dave the Diver, uh, and it's a game that has series. It's like a series of mini games and mini quests. Um, so you you run a sushi you run a sushi restaurant, and your job is to find fish and hunt fish to put in your sushi restaurant. And over time, the more you earn money, you get higher workers. You do all this other stuff. Uh, there is like an overarching plot that you do like other things for people but it's just really fun it's there's some good lo-fi music it's like 16-bit graphics as well so it's really chill and it's just nice to play and i'm i'm a big fan of the kind of games like stardew valley that kind of thing and this is this this hits that note quite nicely um and plus you get to learn about fish i've learned a load about fish since playing this game it's sweet i like games that can teach you things while you know you're just playing That sounds pretty sick to me. Yeah. And you, you also, you you finished Final Fantasy too, right? A Final ha- Fantasy game? Uh, I've started Final Fantasy 10. Okay. okay. Uh, I've just been like talking it because it's fun. Um, <laughs> but no, I started Final Fantasy 10 because it, it popped up on the Steam sale and it's like, I've been meaning to replay this because I haven't played it since it first came out in like 2002, something like that, which makes me feel super old. Um, so going through that again has been really fun um, on this side too. Well, Dan's all video gamed up. Emma's all video gamed up. Lexi, what are you? What do you want to talk about? I know you oh. haven't been video gaming much recently. so Not video gaming. Well, I actually did start playing um, Overwatch, but that is because I have a friend that's super into Overwatch and I have not, like, I have no idea. I know that there are preconceived notions about Overwatch as a game in the community. I just keep playing the tutorial over and over. Because <laughs> I, I keep logging in and then being like, how do I play this game? <laughs> I was going to say that saying you play Overwatch is definitely cooler than saying you play Fortnite, but I don't know, maybe. <laughs> it's just a tutorial. But outside of video games, I've been rewatching Gravity Falls, and that has been my recent obsession. It's just like going back to where I was when I was like staying after every single, like the credits would roll and I would just sit and decode all of the codes in the episodes. It was so much fun. It's been so much fun. So that's that's where I'm at this week at least all right that sounds like you? a lot of fun gravity falls you, is Cal? a show i watched like half of and then never got oh, back to and i've always it's so went good to. it's, it's so not good. even that long either it's really there's only two long. seasons wow that's yeah. kind of crazy i can't believe there's only two seasons yeah uh, and it had such an outsized impact on so many little nerd babies mm-hmm. like lexi 
like me it's true what about what about me i don't know this is the co-host's notebook emma i am the unknowable undefined host if you want to know anything about me, you have to look at my Twitter where I share everything about my life. <laughs> I was just going to segue into Je- I was just going to segue into Jedi Order, but <laughs> I, I have been I, that's what I have been doing a lot of in my free time. Like all of my free time recently has been dedicated entirely to one of three things, like figuring out stuff about my house or like cleaning up the house as an adult does. Uh reading, I have read 8 books this year and I'm closing in on 10. Um and actually close to close to 11 actually close to 11 books um and and then i have been the last like four days i have been playing a lot of jedi survivor which is like dark souls for babies but with more world exploration so you can get little cosmetics that they hide everywhere and uh that it it, it and you're a jedi which makes it cool so Rather than being a weird, unknowable guy that dies in one hit to everything, you're a cool Jedi who has a lightsaber and dies in four hits to everything. So, it uh, it, it really makes me say, I tweeted about this, but being obsessed with this game and also its predecessor, Jedi Fallen Order, really made me say, wow, I bet I would love Elden Ring. I bet Elden Ring would be an all-timer for me. I have attempted to play it. I bet Elden Ring would be an all-timer for me if I liked the, this is the hard part. If I like, this is a hard game part of the game. Like, if that's what sparked joy for me, I think I'd like Elden Ring a lot. So wait, if I can advocate as a person who's a real big baby about that kind of stuff, I turn Mm -hmm. the difficulty setting down to easy on every single game I play. Um, Elden Ring has, it had for me enough beauty in the exterior world that I was able to, like, ignore like all of this is so difficult (laughs) part until i eventually like leveled up my skills enough to be able to like really play the game and enjoy the world all right well i did re-download it onto my computer the other day it's worth giving another shot if you want some co-op action hit me up all right well thanks dan and that's all we have for this half of the herald's horn nearly an hour of three co-hosts chopping it up what else could you want out of life Stick around after the break when I will be talking to Michael Caffrey of T-A-O-A, T-O-A Magic. Eternal lives here. That's the whole, that's the whole name of the, 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 that's the whole name of the shop. Thank you so much for joining me, Lexi, Emma, and Dan. Do any of you have any one last thing to say on your way out? Be good to yourself this week. Stay gnarly. Remember to take a nap. Hey there, if you're enjoying the podcast and want to help both me pay my bills and pay the bills of the co-hosts, consider supporting us on Patreon. For just $5 a month, you can support the content you care about directly, officially becoming a trumpeter, or whatever the official Harold's Horn fan title ends up being. It's contentious at this time. If you back us, I'll even send you a sticker in the mail. The link is in the podcast's description. All that being said, let's get back into the episode. So I think I wanted to start off by asking you, um, so you're, you're the owner of TOA, right? Right. This is, this is what I assumed. Did you start TOA? I did. Wow. That's crazy. When did, when did TOA start? How did, how did TOA start? So, uh, the, the brief history is I started playing magic in middle school. So that's 2000, 
three-ish. Uh, played off and on all through high school, got to college, started playing pretty actively, um, got a job at the local game store in 2011, worked there for about two years. Uh, that was when MTG Finance started to take off, so I was buying and selling collections on the side with some regularity, going to big events, judging, uh, et cetera. And then in the summer of 2023, sorry, summer of 2013, I was let go from that game store over some philosophical differences, which it's fine. And my uh, then then fiance, then ex-wife, um, kind of encouraged me to just go open a game store. And there was a vacant space across from the laundromat where she was doing laundry at the time. So I looked at that, signed the lease, and that that was that. Wow, that's kind of so. You're just sort of like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna send it. I think I can do this. Yeah, that's. There's definitely a oh for sure. Yeah, you know, some some looking back on it, but <laughs> you know, I I didn't start with nothing. I started with probably fifty thousand dollars in cash and like a similarly sized collection of magic cards, so that I was in a, a reasonable spot. Our first legacy event that was in November December had 150 players in it. So like I had, I had good ties to the community and and a, a product that people actually were interested in. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. So, and I and I think that you definitely still have a product that people are interested in. What what do you think it is that you as a vendor are doing differently that still to this day differentiates you? Do you want to be like the spot where everyone can buy their full the dark sets, or or what are you trying to do? So we're doing a lot of different things in a lot of different areas. But where I think the biggest uh, gap in the ecosystem is today is for people that uh, need a full deck of cards and want the convenience and value the convenience of getting it in one package that shows up on time and uh, is is shipped is shipped right. You know, you're not sitting there waiting for the last four cards of your commander deck because someone on a platform just didn't ship it or got lost or whatever. Um, this week we announced uh, expedited shipping rates. So if you order cards Thursday at 8.59 a.m. Uh, and pay the $40 shipping fee, we will have those cards in your hand on Friday. So you can play whatever or whatever deck you want for an RCQ or whatever's going on. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And that's that's obviously, I feel like that's something that used to be a lot more easy to do you know when i when i started playing magic the gathering a lot of the times i could i mean maybe i had a an overly large uh local game store myself or whatever but back in the day i used to be able to walk into a local game store and kind of be able to get that exact same experience but obviously um that is not the same now um for a large range of market purposes um would you say there's any specific reason why I can't do that any now? Speaking as someone who doesn't know these things, would you say there's any specific reasons why I can't just do that at my local game store anymore? Sure. So the the biggest factor is SKU creep. Uh, Watsy is just producing more cards, more variants. You know, if you take a card like uh, like Seacrum Coast, you now have the the regular uh, all will be one version. You have the borderless. You have the foil and foil borderless version of both, plus the whole back, backlog of you have Scars Mirrodin, you have Zendikar, Rising Expedition, you just have all these different versions of these cards. So it's much harder for an LGS to keep them in stock and keep them in stock in a way that is is conducive 
Um, well, we found out, and this this was something that we really started taking a look at six years ago with uh, the card doubling season. It was printed 12 times. We look at the inventory. We have three to five copies of every doubling season. That that sounds great. Like we have a, a reasonable amount of stock for our customers. You know, owning five copies of something seems really reasonable, except they were all $80 a piece. We now own $5,000 of doubling seasons. And like, you're not going to sell $5,000 of doubling seasons to your local customers. Realistically, you want to own 500 to $1,000 at most, right? Eight to 12 copies if there's only one version of it. So we had to be kind of critical about how we think about inventory for cards that have a lot of printings. I think a lot of stores are seeing that, that the, the dollars they have in inventory would rise uncontrollably if they didn't actively try to, to stop it. The other part of that is we've had uh, a couple major businesses close or change operations throughout the past four years, um, Channel Fireball being among the most noteworthy. Uh, Channel Fireball was the most reliable place in that 2016 to 2019 era for they have a ton of stock of everything. They have the reliability, things will get out on time, et cetera. Uh, obviously not going to talk about everyone in the industry, but I think them leaving was a, a major factor in uh, you know one store having all of the cards. Um, and then the other, the other factor is um, the way that TCG Player Direct is uh, acquiring cards that they're using in the direct program, as well as um, some of the people that they're working with for their, their store your products program where stores can keep all their inventory in Syracuse and Syracuse just ships it out has shifted. So direct, which is by design is going to own dozens or hundreds of copies of these cards has a lot of items where they own one or two copies. Like I went through TCG player and bought a variety of uh, recent tokens. We didn't have, you know, for, for 15 or 20 cents or whatever. It's just like, I, I just need to fill the, yeah, the inventory you, you space. Yeah, you want to be because, able to sell them to people. Right, I just, just want to have it in stock, check the box. And I, I want like add inventory on one, add inventory on another, and then all of a sudden, like, oh, that's that's more than Direct has. Like, like Direct didn't have two copies of this token in stock. And it's like, I don't, I can't speculate as to what, what their economic factors are that have them choose not to do that. But at the same time, they just don't have deep stock. So that's, that's, I think, kind of where the world is today. Yeah, that makes sense. You, you, you have the opportunity to then fill that hole, as it were, because even, even the service that kind of markets itself as the peak place to do that can't always do that. Right, and like, we can't always do it either. There's still yeah, a ton sure. of cards. Like, it's tough. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of skew creep. Like nobody can reasonably hold all of those Seachrome coasts. Like I'm sure not even Star City Games or whatever can reasonably hold all those Star City, uh, all those Seachrome coasts, right? So, um, yeah, there's a lot of calculus to be played there. There isn't like buying is largely uh, predictive, and you kind of need to be speculative about it because if you're buying the deck that was good last week, you're gonna end up with a lot of copies of cards nobody wants in two weeks when they all show up in the mail. Yeah, like um trying to think of like a reasonable example from recent memory. But like I'm I'm sure like even like right now, like uh the the I don't want to say the flavor of the week, but it very well maybe the flavor of the week right now is the assault loam in modern, right? And so I'm sure a ton of people would suddenly love to buy seismic assaults from you. But you're about to go on an event this weekend. If you buy a bunch of seismic assaults from people that you don't need, 
three weeks from now, you're going to be stuck with a card that was a week and a half ago, a buck fifty, and nobody was really in a rush to buy. Right. Or even when Fury got banned, you know, there was there could be copies in the mail to any major vendor and, and the vendor kind of just has to say, well, we agreed to buy them. That's, that's the way this world works. Yeah. That's, that certainly makes a lot of sense. And I, and I guess a lot of that is made more difficult by the act of buying through the mail, which then I guess I want to shift gears a little bit here. I think one of the, one of the most interesting things to me about TOA as a business is that I, I have been to a lot of magic, the gathering events specifically over the last few years. And you guys at TOA are almost always the booth that I can count on being there. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, there's that, there's that big purple booth over there. I know, I know who those guys are. Is there, is there a certain appeal to you to being at those events to get access to people buying and selling? I mean, apparently there is, but what is the appeal to you being so many events? So having, doing so many events is almost a function of doing some events, um, once you get all the pieces in place, you're really incentivized to keep going, keep things moving. Um, we were looking at how we handle uh, maintaining an inventory to do these shows, and it's we we bring a lot of cards. That's that's all just part of it. But you can't bring tens of thousands of dollars of cards that are going to sit in a box 28 of, out of the 31 days in a month. Or right? you need to have these cards. Uh, in front of people available as often as possible. So that's kind of why I make the decision of, hey, any any reasonably mid-sized event, we're just going to go to it because we've we've done all the hard work, right? We have the stuff people want. Yeah, you've already, you've already done all the prep for the event. You know what cards you already have packed up. It would be just as much work, if not more, to unpack them than it was to pack them in the first place. You might as well just keep the train rolling. A few weeks ago, at this time it was, I guess, two months ago now or so, we had the, we had the Eternal, at, seemingly at this point, um, now that OP is kind of coming back, we, we have this Eternal push and pull now, it seems, in between players and vendors, in which players would like to show up at events and buy all their cards the same day of, and uh, vendors would like to have cards that they can sell. Um, uh, they'd like to make money on the weekend, so they have to bring cards that they can sell. Um, is the is the is the only solution there? Is it is like the only solution there? Eight dollar uncommons. Is that kind of just how it has to work? So I, bringing cards to events is just a challenge yeah, in and of in itself. Yeah, for sure. Um, no, and especially these events where people are are flying in or you're not driving a, a big van to them. Um, the real answer is figure out what you need a couple of days ahead of time. Order it from one of the vendors who are going to be there. Um, we have. Regionals Denver this weekend. Obviously, by the time this goes live, it'll be in the past. Uh, we have 172 on-site pickup orders for Denver. That's pretty People awesome. People have decided, I need this. Yeah. And when we talked about the niche that we're trying to fill and how we fit in, like that's a big part of it is we want people to know any big event you're going to, um, we're going to be there, pre-order your cards, we'll have them, everything will be great. Um, is the answer $8 on commons? Like, Almost certainly yes, if mm -hmm. you're going to expect someone to just guess what you need to yeah, bring Yeah, just them. randomly bring random uncommons for standard. Yeah. You know, like the, the, this becomes a math problem and it's not, it's not pleasant to try and think about because, mm -hmm. you know, if you think about how many 
interactions you get in in a day of people asking you for a card. If you decide, okay, I'm going to bring a lot of stuff, I'm now going to bring an extra staff person to facilitate that, and you sell 500 cards at $2 a card. Let's, let's say the cards cost you nothing, and like the inventory just up here, 500 cards, $2 a card. That doesn't pay for the staff member in the first place, or does it pay for their hotel or flight expense? <laughs> like the, the math of uh, the revenue you have to generate. And that's a lot of cards. That's, that's selling a lot of $2 magic cards. 500 cards is a big number for uh, random common uncommon stuff you all also have to spend time curating. Yeah, so the, the math is just really tough, even at $2, which many people would maybe be like, wah, that's below TCG player low for this uncommon, wah, wah. Yeah, at, we also talk a lot in the, the booth about Reddit threads and customer experience. And if, if somebody says, hey, do you have this card? And you say no, that's like a four out of 10 experience. Like Nobody's, nobody's going to get upset enough to post online, hey, this vendor didn't have this, and I, I felt slighted by it. But we saw what happens when a vendor says, I want $3 for a 50 cent card. This now becomes internet discourse for a day. And the vendor gets named. And it's like, there, there's no benefit to me. Like I can just I can just avoid all this. Yeah, you, I can just not sell you the card, and you have what is maybe an expected experience by walking up to me and me telling you that I don't have this random niche uncommon that you might have expected me to have. Right. Yeah. You are the one Twitter account I'm aware of where a uh, except for like maybe the uh, the Twitter of Mr. Rodney, um, where there where one can actually just kind of like buy twelve dollar magic cards all of the time um it's a great experience uh what like the only other place i've seen people selling twitter cards on twitter besides rodney is like uh ben at scg being like hello i have this extra black lotus i want to get rid of please dm me which is not not exactly the same experience <laughs> um what 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 inspired you to just start slinging cards on twitter.com i've loved it what's what's inspired that one for a brief overview for the audience um, a couple weeks a year, realistically, like once a, one week a month or so, mm-hmm. um, we'll go through and list played cards. Um, so M- MP, non-foil, MP foil, HP, non-foil, HP foil. We don't do damaged. Um, that's a little too problematic. But we list a whole bunch of stuff, and it's just photos of the cards. It says, any card in this photo, $15, DM us if you want to buy it. And then you say, I want to buy this $15 future site Tarmogoyf, and then uh, we pull aside for you. And then on Friday, we say, hey, you bought all these cards and your total is you know, $400 and please, please PayPal us here. Um, and all the credit for this working smoothly goes to my fiance, who does an amazing job with that. Um, she works in the business full time, but when, when Twitter's on, that, that's entirely her. That's not me ever. And this is how we talk about uh, what we do fits in the, the wider business. So on our website on TCG player, we only list cards in one condition, which is lightly played. Um, this is kind of like how star city just does the near mint played HP thing. You know, we picked, we picked LP because that's uh, a card that looks reasonably good. You're happy to play with it. There's nothing weird about it. It's not, it's not messed up. Um, but we also don't want the customer service burden of people expecting everything to be to be mint and perfect and gradable and everything else. So we just pick kind of this middle of the road, good enough sort of sort of thing. And it works really well with TCG Player Direct as well. But that gives the question of what do we do with MPHP and damage stuff? 
And the, the biggest way we solve that is by using Twitter as an outlet where people can opt in and buy stuff and, and be really excited about it. And then we'll take those same cards to events afterwards. So we have these smaller sections of inventory that we have curated. And basically every three months we buy enough stuff that we take all the case cards apart, run it back through the sorting machines, reprice it all, put it on Twitter, restock it, and do it all over again. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Just like a good a good way to get a lot of your cards that you might not sell on TCG Player or whatnot to a larger audience. Before we started talking, uh, or or maybe when we were recording, I don't recall exactly, but um, there was I I I said that that TOA was perhaps a a mid sized uh, Magic the Gathering vendor because there are like obviously very huge stores like Star City Games in the past, Channel Fireball. Um, and there's obviously a ton of what you might call like small vendors, especially on TCG player, like single people selling cards or smaller LGSs selling cards and whatnot. Um, but you're, you're somewhere in the middle there, I think. Um, what, what do you think is the, the biggest problems today that, that face specifically mid-size vendors? Uh, as far as ad- advice for, uh, people in general um i think the biggest challenge is realizing that you own you have too much of your uh total asset assets in one particular skew or group of skews um you know if you if you see that you own 12 or 15 copies of a card like that that's a problem and you need to find avenues of, of solving that uh most often just by listing it to somebody else or uh thinking about how you're you're pricing it in the, the wider market but it's really easy to just accumulate too much stuff um i was working with a, another another lgs and they had said yeah we like have this this process where uh, the the hundred or thousand most played cards in commander we pull aside and put in the store and instead of just listening to everything on tc player and it, it's really helped the store it helped us have inventory uh it's really good uh but our tc player sales are really suffering and it's like that's kind of illustrative of, of you are having too much money in this top end or this one this one grouping and like you need to keep the cash flow or just be be aware and be balanced and decide I want to have thirty thousand dollars in singles for my store, which isn't a crazy amount of, of singles. That's like roughly one copy of everything modern legal, maybe. That's the crazy thing about the business though, is that like just strikes me as a ton of money to have. But yeah, that's maybe the modern format, maybe. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's close to one copy of everything in mm-hmm. modern. It's it's really not that much inventory uh, when when you lay it out and and put it in the case and whatnot. But just try and try to have dollar sign goals of of where you want these things to be, and, and realize you're going to be above it some weeks and you're going to be below it some weeks, and it's it's not the end of the world. But you really can't uh, let your inventory blow it up and you know serialize cards and foils and everything. It's the same thing, you know. If you have a customer come in with a serialized card and you know. Yeah, I could buy that. I probably don't have to pay all that much money for it because this customer doesn't have all that many other options for it. You know, just write in, in Sharpie on the back the date you bought it, and three months later, if you still own it, you know, just get rid of it. Find find someone who'll give you anything more than you paid on it, because all all your customers have seen it already. Nobody's going to decide that they want to buy yeah, it. Actually, I want that now. Yeah, <laughs> unless maybe it's happen. maybe when it's almost tax return season. I don't I don't know. You can you can make exceptions for yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I sure. want to keep revised tools in the case. Yeah, but, for sure. For you know, sure. foil foil metalworker is not something that 
No, not not oh, random walking by that. Yeah, random buy. Yeah, that certainly makes sense. Is there is there in that kind of vein? Like like I just said, I I would you know if I looked at an average store, I wouldn't automatically clock that they maybe do just have tens of thousands of dollars sitting in the case, right? Because thirty thousand dollars to me as a as a Magic the Gathering player, like sure my collection is maybe worth that much, but I don't think of it as that much, nor what I think of as a store is that much. And that's like, and I'm sure to the average Magic player, that's kind of an unexpected problem that their local store or their favorite local vendor might have or whatever, such that they have this huge inventory that they have to keep up with and turn over and, and keep track of and stuff. Is there any kind of like other struggles in the vendor life that you think the average Magic player isn't very aware of? One kind of funny one I can touch on is trying to balance... Uh, doing an activity that is the most profitable thing you can do versus doing an activity that isn't directly profitable, but is like but the cleaning up or, or ta tackling like the, the pile of boxes sitting in the corner. And oftentimes I find myself uh, forcing myself to do the thing that is less directly profitable, knowing that's going to be way better long-term if I just, if I just deal with the thing. So many, so many tasks beyond just the, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people think of vending magic cards. It's like, oh, you buy the magic card for uh, 50% store credit, and then you magically sell the magic card, and you have made a 60% effective profit. And that is the, the business of magic, but there's actually a lot more involved than just that. <laughs> yeah, just, just to go back a, a, a second on that, that $30,000 yeah. number. Uh, four four copies of everything legal and pioneer at retail is thirty thousand dollars. Okay, yeah, and that's like that's not a huge amount of cards, really, if you think about it. No, it's uh like eight hundred different cards. Yeah, and that's that's just kind of crazy. That's that's uh not what I would expect at all, and I don't think that's what the average Magic player would expect. I've asked you a lot of stuff about like what's hard about the vending business or whatever, but. What do you do? You love anything about the vending business? I mean, you're in it, so what's your favorite thing about being in the vending business? I like how there's always a problem to solve somewhere. Uh, there's always something that can be done better. Um, I had three weeks off between uh, Philadelphia, sorry, um, Star City, Cleveland, and, and Star City, Hartford, recently, and I just made a list and kept adding to it. And by the end of the week, I had ninety different things <laughs> that I had accomplished across the mm -hmm. week and. Either uh, you know tackling something that wasn't being dealt with regularly, or uh, you know wholesaling off the bulkers we accumulated to someone. Like that, that's the sort of thing you don't really think about doing, and then eventually you realize that you have a couple too many boxes of, of bulk rares that you know are picked and aren't worth anything, and you need to turn back into money. Um, I also like how there's a lot of medium-term and long-term planning and forecasting. Uh, where you can make decisions and then get paid off later. It's how many people do I want to bring to Chicago? And today we found out that that number is probably not enough. And there's probably going to be lines for everybody looking to sell cards in Chicago because yeah, there's the, the, the event the, the sold, out sold out today. Out. Yeah. Absolute insanity, actually. Somehow we've already been chatting for almost a half hour. So I guess I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pull it to a close here. So I would love to know your favorite and your least favorite ways in which Magic the Gathering is currently being handled from your perspective in your business. My favorite way as a as a person that engages with 
the, the magic subset in general is that there are more ways for people to play and interact and enjoy magic than ever before. Uh, there's a lot of things that I personally don't like. I would never play the Doctor Who Commander decks. I think it's fantastic that they exist. Uh, I think Secret Lair as a line is fantastic. There's so many more options. Uh, my least favorite thing is that any of the Secret Lair cards are legal in competitive magic. Yeah, that's fair. In particular, like the, the Lord of the Rings poster variants, where I, I wish the rules were just you had to have a card that resembles a magic card for, strictly for playing in competitive REL tournaments. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're playing Commander, I, I don't care. Enjoy them. They're great. I, I really like them. Uh, but it, I think it gets in the way of actually communicating what these game pieces do and how they interact. I also really wish that Watsi would lean into Mystery Booster slash the list, that, that white symbol treatment, more on cards. And anytime that they release supplemental product that reprints older magic cards, they just use that treatment for literally everything. So if there's a commander deck from March of the Machine that has a, a regular, um, I don't know, Galta in it or something, it's going to be Rivals of Ixalan Galta, Mystery Booster mm-hmm. Symbol in this commander deck. Uh, that really cuts down the SKU creep and makes things a lot easier for stores to keep inventory. And he gets to tell every Magic player that opens that deck, oh, this card originally came out in 2012 and, or 2018 or whatever. There's a whole set of other dinosaur cards. Like You can explore all of Magic by, by seeing that these cards exist in a historical context and not just, this is the box that I got. And now that you have told me about that, I would love for that to change too. That sounds like a cool concept. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I think that I think Secret Lair should uh, be outlawed in competitive play, except for specifically the Deceptive Divination Circular Logic. I think that one should be allowed. As long as it's played by the rules text on the card. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Sorcery. <laughs> Sorcery Counterspell? Seems great. I was, I was trying to think if you could if you could madness that as a, in response. And I, I guess it probably still works with madness. Yeah, you, it, yeah, you can still cast it for its madness cost, I think, even though it's a sorcery. But I don't know. Well... Uh, Mr. T.O.A. Caffrey, I appreciate you joining me for this scant half hour, um, and thank you for answering my, uh, wide random assortment of vendor-related questions. I appreciate it a lot. It's great to chat. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Herald's Horn. If you liked what you heard, consider giving us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you really enjoyed listening, you can support us directly on Patreon. I'll even send you a sticker in the mail. Every little bit helps us make the best podcast we can for you. Check out the link in the podcast description. Harold's Horn is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Cal Jones. The co-hosts are Emma Partlow, Lexi, better known as Black Girl Mage, and Dan, better known as Moderately Anonymous MTG. All of our info also lives in the podcast description. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Harold's Horn and any place else you can find us too. If you want to reach out to me about the podcast, hit up editorial at heraldshorn.com. I'd love to see your email. Thanks again for listening to the Harold's Horn. We're having so much fun creating it. See you in two weeks. <laughs>